Welcome to the Vacation Impossible podcast for Friday, December 9th. I'm coming to you from the Carnival Panorama, where I am on my last sea day of my third cruise in a month and a half. <laughs> in the last six weeks, I think I've spent three days at home. Uh, I did a week in London went on the Carnival Celebration for her inaugural cruise. You can check out the podcast episode from that sailing. Did then a back-to-back here on the Panorama after going home for three days. And so this is the end of my second. We've got some good topics for today, including the current state of Carnival VIFP, Platinum, and Diamond member parties uh, as well. And that's a requested topic. Another requested topic was me discussing my love of Hootie and the Blowfish. That's unusual, but someone in line for pizza here on the Panorama requested I cover that topic. So I guess we're going to do that as well as some other things. Also, my first back-to-back cruise talking about what that experience was like. First off, I just want to talk about the current state of Carnival VIFP club member parties for platinum and diamond guests. So the parties are back, but they're not back exactly necessarily is how you remember. Last month, November of 2022, I was on the celebration and it was a little different. There were no appetizers and the beverage options were limited. You had a white wine, a red wine, and a very limited supply of Pepsi. That was all that was available. When I arrived, and I arrived a little early, Pepsi was unavailable at the time. And so it was either red or white wine. I'm not fond of wine. It gives me a really bad hangover, even if I only have like half a glass. So I actually didn't end up getting anything sort of physical from that experience. They didn't have the sort of usual contests or things like that. They did show that video where they talk about sort of the philosophy of Carnival, where it all began. The original CEO starts off by talking about why the company was created. And there's the part where the ships go by and you're supposed to clap when any ship you've sailed on is on the screen. And so in my experience, now on 26 cruises, this is my 26th cruise, I start clapping at the sensation and I can't rest until the video's done (laughs) because there's always the ship on screen that I've sailed on, which is kind of nice. And of course, you had the cruise director kind of give a nice speech, still acknowledge sort of the youngest platinum member, the oldest member at the party. And as well, people like stood up and were clapped for when they first made platinum or if it's their first diamond sailing things like that longest cruiser so some awards were handed out for that i should say handed back generally speaking they were handed through the crowd back to the person who was supposed to get it rather than them coming up on stage getting a picture you know maybe even saying a few words or shaking some hands they weren't really doing that and so for that celebration party i don't know if that's just the current state or if it was because it was a transatlantic inaugural sailing because there is a very high unusually high percentage of diamonds and platinums on sailings like that for a couple of reasons for one thing the carnival journeys cruises which are awesome and i had a chance to interview tom parks about that so check out our youtube channel for that video coming soon, youtube.com slash vacation impossible. But the journeys cruises are a little bit more unique. So I think it's the experienced cruisers seek them out. I rather enjoy those. I like those longer cruises. And so I think the people who have more sea days are more likely to go on those. And it's less for sort of the casual audience in terms of people who happen to tend to book them. I mean, anyone can go and I think everyone would get sort of equal experiences out of it. But I think that like a two week cruise from one continent to another is a big commitment 
for someone going on like their first or second cruise. Additionally, the sheer number of sea days at 14, it's going to bump many golds into platinum probably on that sailing. So there's a few reasons why there would be a lot of platinum and diamonds on that transatlantic inaugural cruise. And so they had it in their big sort of stage. Like when they had the showcase of comedy where you get both comedians, they have the it in the bigger venue. And so it was in this bigger venue where it's like movie theater style seating. Not the modern movie style uh, theater seating where you might have like a reclining chair and lots of space, but the older style where they really packed them in in stadium style seating. Stadium style seating might be a little bit more accurate, although the seats are slightly more comfortable than that. It's not really accessible for waitstaff to bring things to you. So I wonder if that's as much a factor as anything else, because here on the Panorama, it was a very different experience. So here in December of 2022 on the Carnival Panorama, Panorama, when I went to the VIFP member party for Platinum and Diamond guests, it was very much like it used to be. So you can go up and participate in a couple contests. So there's normally a bag of candy, and you need to guess how many candies are in the bag. I guessed way too low. There was something in the neighborhood of 500. I won't give a specific number because I don't want anyone to cheat. But it was in that neighborhood, the high 500s, I think. And the bag didn't look that big. So I don't know. I, I kind of question it. But I, I guess Jelly Bellies are really small. So uh, that is one of the things. So you write down... You you know, your name, your cabin room, and your estimate for how many candies are in the bag. And if you are the closest, you win the bag. And that's part of the presentation. There's also the part where they put up images of ships and you have to guess which ships they are. In this case, they only had five. In the past, they've done up to ten. And it was all five images on one screen and the screen's high up far away and so like the individual pictures are actually pretty low resolution I think I got one or two of them correct but it was incredibly hard just because they're only up there for a few seconds in the slideshow that rotates through so they come back it's really hard to see much detail in those pictures then if you get that correct you win a ship on a stick as they call it which is sort of their trophy. I've got a couple of those back home for other things. So that's part of it. And so that part, at least on the panorama, is fully back. As well, the beverage selection was just like it used to be. They had a lot of prepared drinks ready to go. You know, wine, champagne, various things like that. A lot of rum punch, stuff like that. They also set out this big metal thing uh, with ice and a whole bunch of cans of various sorts of beer. You could go get different kinds of beer that were available in sort of those larger style cans. Those were somewhat self-service, you could go get that. And also, as the wait staff goes around, you can make special requests. Now, typically, the etiquette is, is you might tip them a dollar or two if they make a special request drink for you and bring it to you, because it's not part of sort of the standard thing. they got to do that little extra work. they got to remember you, come back to you, all that kind of thing. That's just something that we generally recommend as an etiquette for these parties. That was great. They were kind of mingling. It was in the theater here on the Panorama where you're able to kind of have bar service come to you, rather than that stadium-style seating we experienced on the celebration. That was nice for me because, again, not a wine drinker, I was able to have, you know, rum punches and things like that, which I enjoy. So that was good. However, the one thing that is still missing, because they had everything else, youngest cruiser, oldest cruiser, all of that, in the video, of course, the only thing that was missing was the appetizers. The appetizers have not returned. I don't know if the intent is to have them return or not. That's sort of what the experience is now. It's everything but the food. And I hope they bring back those appetizers, because I kind of enjoyed, like, there was a quiche that I liked, uh, there was a slider that was pretty good. The rice stuff I can't have because I have an allergy to the malt vinegar they used to bind the rice together. Sam and others really enjoyed those sushi 
sushi things in the past. So I hope they bring back the appetizers, because for me, that was a nice touch, because those were things you couldn't get anywhere else on the ship, at least in my experience. And so it was a nice, unique thing. But by and large, it's nice that, you know, there's a selection of beverages now, and, you know, you can get together and, and have that sort of fun. Also, for VIFP member parties, it's quite common that there will be musical entertainment as you enter, and then after the speeches and video and contest. And so that was the case on the celebration. We had Eden Parker, who was the performer for the piano bar, was performing for that. And on the celebration, they put on a bit of a show, which was kind of interesting. They said it was a throwback, so yes, it definitely felt like it was made to, like, the sensibilities of the 80s and prior. I don't know that it would have played great in the 90s up to now, so it felt incredibly dated. They kind of acknowledged it was a throwback. I think it was something that they were doing because they weren't able to have the contests or the snacks or some of those other interactive things. And so we'll have a video of that rather unusual and to some possibly shocking performance, uh, probably on our TikTok and possibly on YouTube as well. I got to check the terms and conditions of the community guidelines of the various platforms because it's a little edgy and I wouldn't want to violate the rules of a platform that I upload it to. So I'm fairly confident it'll be okay for TikTok. So check out Vacation Impossible on TikTok. We'll get that video up, at least a short version of it that'll show you some of the more interesting parts, uh, the more shocking parts. Uh, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of humorously titling it, uh, The Day Everyone on a Carnival Cruise Ship Got Fired. <laughs> there's costumes and there's uh, lewd comedy, let's put it that way. I know this podcast is marked as explicit on iTunes because I set it up wrong, uh, so that gives me the permission to kind of go into those areas, but I don't want to give it too much detail away because it's a visual experience, let's say. So check out our TikTok, possibly also up on YouTube, maybe an Instagram as well. So please follow Vacation Impossible on all the various platforms platforms because different platforms are good for different things. We post a lot of pictures on Instagram, not a lot of pictures on YouTube, but longer form video on YouTube that you don't see anywhere else, etc, etc. And make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. If this is your first time listening, please subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if that platform allows you to leave a review, please do so. We do really appreciate those reviews. But in conclusion on this topic, the VIFP club member parties are back. Uh, just not 100%. I'd say 80 to 90% depending on the ship that you're on. And so, yeah, let us know in the comments. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Send us an email, team at vacationimpossible.ca. What do you think of the member parties? Do you think that it's repetitive? Because to a degree it is. The same video gets shown every time and only gets updated when a new ship gets added to the fleet or removed. And so is it repetitive and boring? Or do you like the consistency of it and it's nice to have that experience again? What do you think about the the offerings? I sometimes wonder about people who might be in recovery, whether parties like that are maybe a little bit more difficult. And so like they're always walking around with alcohol options. And if you want a, a Pepsi or something, that's generally a special request. Uh, you know, the big tub of cans. That was all beer. There wasn't any soda in that. And as someone who, I mean, I'm not in recovery. I have respect for people who are and wish them all the best in their their uh, recovery efforts. But they don't have non-alcoholic options easily on offer. Now, I imagine that those cost them less, and it would be nice if it was a bit more accessible for those who maybe for religious reasons, or if they're in recovery, or just as a personal preference, uh, aren't necessarily hunting for, you know, all the alcohol. I know that the free alcohol is a large draw of the party, and it is for me as well, um, but I'm just curious what everyone's thoughts are about that, because as we covered previously, there is a job posting with Carnival where they're looking to revamp the VIA 
AFP program, that's probably a ways off still because they got to hire the person, train them, onboard them, and then that person has to come up with a new plan, get it approved, and then implemented. That's a process that's going to take a long time, I would imagine. We're talking months, if not years. Um, but I think that you never know who or where Carnival goes to for input. Obviously, the surveys you get after a cruise uh, probably carry some of the most weight. Um, so I don't know if they're going to listen to this crazy podcast. <laughs> but I would be curious. And, and, you know, I think it's nice to imagine what could be better. Uh, you know, Chris Voss, who I'm a fan of, always says, don't be so certain of what you want that you won't accept a better deal. So I'm always open to new ideas. I've heard a lot of really good ones out there. Um, for example, one suggestion that I would like to make, not about VIFP, but just in general for Carnival, is about the Hub app. I think the Hub app could have a relatively easy upgrade for hearing impaired persons. And this is my suggestion. When there are shipboard announcements, I think that those should be visible as text somewhere in the Hub app. Now, Carnival does a decent job for accessibility in certain areas, and we've talked about that in the past. For example, they have accessible cabins. We have some videos on YouTube that show you those, where the door is automated, there's a zero-barrier bathroom things of that nature. There's also cabins where there's a doorbell that will flash a light inside for the hearing impaired so then they know that someone's at the door if they can't hear a knock. So they've obviously put that level of thought into it, but what about those shipboard announcements? Sometimes those can be really important. I know a lot of them if you've gone on as many cruises as me, you've gotten really good probably at tuning them out where it's just the cruise director telling you about all the various activities on the ship, or encouraging you to contribute to St. Jude's or whatever, things you're probably already aware of after your second or third cruise, once you're comfortable navigating the Hub app and you know how these things work. So you tune a lot of that out. There's also the navigational update on sea days that normally happens around noon that tells you how far away you are, what the temperature is, barometric pressure, sea depth, things like that, which some people find interesting. But here's the stuff that's really important. On the Carnival Celebration, when we were headed into Miami, we had to accelerate because we needed to get in as fast as possible. We got in at 2 a.m. when we weren't supposed to get in until the next, like later that morning, I think 7 or 8 or 9 a.m. or something, uh, possibly even later just because it was the transatlantic, uh, but there was a medical emergency that necessitated an early docking, and so we accelerated and we got to port at 2 in the morning. And so information like that should be readily available more than just if you happen to hear the announcement. Now, for something that's very important, they generally pipe it through on the speakers in the cabins, but... Again, that doesn't help hearing impaired people necessarily, depending on the degree of impairment. And so I would like to think that a text version of that that could be accessible somewhere in the Hub app would be relatively low cost, virtually zero cost. You could get a speech-to-text program that could basically copy that down automatically and possibly even offer translations for people who English might not be their first language. When I was doing my back-to-back, -back, there was a woman whose English was poor, but she knew Spanish very well. And so when they were announcing things, she had to flag down a staff member and asked them to say it slowly so they, they could understand. And so if any of those sorts of announcements were available in the Hub app, whether it was, you know, fun, hey, join us for an ice carving, or incredibly serious, like, we are not going to this port because of high winds or a medical emergency or a hurricane or something, then people who are hearing impaired can have equal access to that. 
Also, you could just be in a place where you can't hear it at the time. What if you're in the middle of a water slide and you can't hear it through the walls of the water slide? If you're out on the deck uh, or, or possibly on your balcony, the echo can be cacophonous to the point where I can't understand a word uh, and things like that. And so I think that that would be beneficial to a lot more than just the hearing impaired, but in terms of like a strong business argument and making your business accessible to more people and more accessible to the people who are already there... I think that's a low, relatively zero cost. I'd strongly encourage Carnival to consider adding that kind of function to the app. I think it's relatively low cost. I think it would be fantastic. Uh, you could have it almost as like a chat window where it's like a one directional chat from the cruise director or something where they just post those messages. And I mean, maybe one day they could make fewer of the announcements that's just constantly hyping the comedy club or the playlist production or whatever. Because, you know, those don't always come at the greatest time, like when you're recording a podcast. I had to start recording this one twice because there were various announcements right at the beginning, and I'm like, okay, it's just going to be easier to start over. Uh, that's a unique issue, but there's other things that could be going on. You could be having a very serious conversation with somebody, and that just interrupts it. Uh, who knows? So, uh, and also... I like to listen to a podcast on my balcony or on Serenity, Deck 5, whatever, and so I might not hear it over my podcast. Some people have noise-canceling headphones. I think there's a strong argument to be made here. I would like shipboard announcements in the Hub app, please, Carnival. Uh, and let me know if you agree. If you're watching this on YouTube, let me know in the comments. And like I said, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, or email team at vacationimpossible.ca. Let me know your thoughts. Do you think this would be worthwhile? Is it something that you would appreciate? Because I know I would. Feel free to disagree with me, though. That's uh, It's all about having a conversation, and I'm open to other interpretations, too. But I don't see much of a downside to this. Uh, worst case, it could be somebody just typing it out. Um, and if it's like an assistant cruise director who's maybe learning about what kind of announcements get made, that could help fortify language and make them think about like uh, what kind of announcements they'd make when given the opportunity. It could be a succession management thing. I think this could actually be beneficial for training purposes as well. And once it's in text, even if the Hub app doesn't offer translations. People might have translation programs on their phone as it is, and then maybe they can select that text, pop it over, and then there's more clarity, especially, especially, especially if it affects arrival times. Now, I know that if a port uh, gets missed due to, you know, high winds, hurricane, medical reasons, whatever it might be, who knows, civil unrest, it's possible, an earthquake, uh, anything like that, I, they generally do provide a letter. The letter comes so much later. The f two, four, six, eight, 12 hours delay between the initial announcement and getting that letter could be vital if you're having to reschedule a flight or notify family about pickup or make other arrangements, cancel a private excursion or something. And so I think the sooner people have that information, the better. Rant over. So that was a topic requested by Sam, of all people, who, you know, classically refuses to appear on the podcast, and that's fine. We respect his choice. He takes great pictures and video. We appreciate those contributions, and he was the one who booked this cruise. So, uh, but yeah, he thought that this would be a good topic that people would want to know about. Uh, the, that was the current state of VIFP parties. I did kind of go on a tangent after that. Uh, so I think it was our first night on this sailing. Around midnight, we're in line for some pizza as is often common, because it's about the only food option available that doesn't cost at that time of night. And a couple of women were in front of us. We got to talking. And um, they thought that talking about my love of Hootie and the Blowfish would make a great podcast topic. They were pretty adamant about it. They were jet-lagged and had been drinking, but they felt very passionately. So this one's for you if you're not interested in 
this kind of music or whatever, uh, fair free permission to skip ahead in the podcast. Uh, but since it was requested, I'm always happy to do whatever I can, uh, as requested by our audience. Uh, for example, on the celebration, someone asked me to do a video reading out the bar menu, which that's forthcoming. I recorded it. Uh, and on this sailing, uh, someone named Linda on Facebook asked me to go film all the t-shirts that are available in the fun shops, which I plan on doing shortly after this. Uh, so here you have it. Uh, my love of Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this, but there you go. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was in high school when they kind of hit it big in 95. Their first major single that I heard, uh, was Let Her Cry. I believe Hold Her Hand, Hold My Hand was, um, their first single. That didn't quite register in my world, but Let Her Cry was very popular. I remember hearing it in like swimming pools and, uh, you know, girls I knew were talking about it and absolutely loved the song. So, of course, I was curious to find out more. And when I first heard it, it f- sounded familiar. I was like when I was first consciously hearing it, I thought maybe I'd heard it somewhere else. And then it's funny. I've recently read the memoir uh, by Sonny. And he said that when they made that song, that was actually part of it. It's like they realized that that needed to be a single because the first time you hear it, it felt like it was a song you already knew and loved. Uh, so that was kind of interesting that my experience actually matched their understanding at the time. Because with a lot of Hootie and the Blowfish songs, that's often not the case. Uh, so like She Crawls Away is about, uh, I think, Darius's daughter or something. Whereas most people think it's about a toxic relationship with somebody who has addiction problems <laughs> or something like that. Uh, so it's actually kind of funny in interviews they would talk about like, oh, you know, people say like, oh, yeah, I've got a girl like that in my life. And he's just like, oh, you're 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 parent and they'd be like no no i i I dumped the person we're talking about he's like that's a song about my daughter dude (laughs) um so no i really enjoy hooting the blowfish i think cracked rear view is rightly one of the best albums of all time i believe it's still one of the top 10 best selling albums of all time uh so if you haven't heard the album cracked rear view just listen to it on whatever platform you like spotify you know youtube music whatever you got go pick up the cd if that suits you or the vinyl if you're into vinyl whatever uh it's an amazing album start to finish it starts off with the song Hannah Jane with Hannah Jane whatever uh, which is just rocking so it like starts off really high tempo good energy positive uh, and then it goes through like a lot of different songs with different emotions and stuff like that uh, you know it, even talking about things like losing one's parent and stuff like that but in this just beautifully you know uh, kind of pop rock way uh and so i strongly recommend that first album and if you absolutely love them like i do then you know continue going on through their discography but uh if you're expecting the same kind of music album after album it isn't quite like that their second album was um you know darius mumbled more for one thing he didn't enunciate the lyrics quite as well as on the first one even though his voice is still rich and amazing um but also it was written when they were on the road so it's songs about missing family basically and so it's not like the college rocking out having fun it's a little bit more melancholy but there's some beautiful songs like uh uh 2d is a fantastic uh beautiful song for example off the second album fairweather johnson and there's a little bit of fun to be had too um and then going on from there uh you know it kind of continues on, I think, a theme of being away from home with their third album, uh, which is Musical Chairs. 
Uh, and then also into Shattered, Smothered, and Covered, they do amazing versions of songs, uh, better than the originals as far as I'm concerned, for the most part. And um, Shattered, Smothered, and Covered is a great road trip album. If you're looking for music to listen to on a road trip, I think that's fantastic, that particular album. And then you can kind of go on from there into the later stages of their career. Um, but I listened to Hooting the Blowfish a lot when I was 15. It was a formative time for me musically, emotionally, mature-wise, whatever you want to call it. And so um, it's just great. You know, at the time I was listening to things like Alanis Morissette, Bare Naked Ladies, stuff like that. Uh, so this would have been in the cycle with those other two that I was listening to probably more than anything else that year. I think 1995 is an amazing year for music. Um, and so my personal sort of Hooting the Blowfish story, other than the time I saw them in concert when they were touring for Fairweather Johnson, it was practically a religious experience to me. Um, beyond that, when I was first diagnosed my, with my heart condition in 2012, I had to go in an MRI, a magnetic resonance imager, which I've never done before, and it's a scary experience. Uh, at least it was for me. Now, not everyone. For some people, it could be fine, but it's a relatively confined space. I, In my life, I've had like two claustrophobic attacks. One was in a hotel in Paris, so it's not like I have claustrophobia necessarily, um, but it is confining, and you're realizing that they're scanning you, and that could be really determining your quality of life for the rest of your life, and perhaps the duration of your life, and so I'm lying there, and and you're isolated. Uh, you get some headphones, uh, but there's no one in the room with you uh, for, you know, obvious reasons of the equipment and its output. And so you're incredibly alone and you're incredibly scared. Um, and so I remember I was just kind of freaking out a little bit. I felt my heart rate, you know, kind of accelerating. And I think the lab tech realized that. And so he says, oh, would you like to listen to some music? And I was like, oh, God, yes. Anything to take my mind off of this horrible, scary experience I was going through. And so he was, and so he's like, what do you want to listen to? And I'm like, I don't know. You don't have, like, Pet Shop Boys, do you? And he's like, no, we don't have any of that. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. What kind of stuff do you have? Hootie and a Blowfish? Something like that. He goes, yeah, we got we got some stuff from 95. We got Hootie. We got Alanis. And I'm like, oh, my God, please put on Hootie and the Blowfish. And so the second, the first note of uh, Hannah Jane kicked in, I just completely relaxed. I felt my body relax. I was able to mentally transport myself to, you know, 15 years old, lying on my bed, listening to my Discman uh, with Cracked Review spinning and taking me back to a place of safety, optimism, fun, excitement, positivity, all of these great things. And so that really got me through that experience more than anything else. So um, I hope that this topic has fulfilled the desires to hear about my interest in Hootie and the Blowfish and my personal story about that. Um, so yeah, like if you haven't listened to Cracked Review or if you haven't listened to it lately, it holds up. Go give it a listen. It's fantastic. Uh, you, you know, there's no bad song on the album. So that's that's that. There is Hootie Fest, uh, which uh, or Splash something. I forget exactly what it's called. It happens in Mexico. It's a little too pricey for me, but God, would I love to go to do that. Uh, if you'd like to support me in that effort, you can support us on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Vacation Impossible. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the podcast, the YouTube channel, and all of that. You'll get access to behind-the-scenes photos, blog writings by myself, and other interesting things. Uh, direct access to us, you know, 
if you want to suggest topics or anything or request videos, that's a great way to do it. Kind of gets on our radar faster than any of the other methods. Um, and there's also a $3 level where I write even more personal blog posts and uh, even rarer uh, behind the scenes photos uh, that are much more personal, which kind of like, um, you know, th there's that advice where they say, oh, write a, write a letter uh, and then don't send it. Well, that's where I put those. So, uh, you know, you've been warned. <laughs> um, but of course you can just support us and not, not go and read it too. That's fine too. There's no obligation to engage, but, uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to support my dream of one day going to see Hooting the Blowfish in Mexico, that's one way you can do it. Um, so yeah, uh, that, those are sort of the two requested topics that I wanted to get off right at the top. Um, and so just talking about this trip so far, I am exhausted. Uh, I mean, you know, it was interesting. I did that road trip with John in 2019 where we went to all those states. We went from Vancouver to Indianapolis and then back via Edmonton. And, um, you know, it was a different route there than came back. And so we saw so many amazing things. And there were days where we did three states in a day. Uh, and I didn't feel this exhausted at any point during that trip. That trip was like... It was eye-opening for me in a variety of ways. For one thing, I got to see Mount Rushmore for the first time and realized that they have amazing lip balm there. That's right, chapstick. Mount Rushmore is the place to get it. Uh, I want to go back someday just to buy more chapstick from their gift shop. It's worth it. It's I, I can't even describe it. It's fantastic. Um, but that was eye-opening because like, I was putting out videos here and there. Like, If we had a little extra time in a hotel and nothing to do, I might edit something and put something up or what have you. And so that was like... The concept of digital nomad um, is like, I don't know, people who self-proclaim themselves that feels kind of pompous. But I mean, is it jealousy speaking when I say that? I don't know, because it's also sounds kind of awesome, like traveling for a living. That would be kind of amazing. Um, and so I didn't know if that would be something for me, if it was even ever possible. And so up to that point in my life, that was the closest I had ever gotten to that kind of experience. And I fell ass backwards into it completely unintentionally. It's just we had this really long trip. And I was doing, you know, various things along the way when I had the time. Getting videos out, engaging with the audience, responding to comments, things like that. And so um, that was when I kind of started to see like, okay, I don't like the label Digital Nomad or whatever else you might want to call it. And if you got a better label, let me know. Again, reach out, private message, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, add us on Twitter, vacayimpossibles, where you can find us on Twitter, or an email, teamificationimpossible.ca. What's a better term for this? I don't know. Um, because you can be like a travel vlogger or YouTuber or podcaster, but not kind of living on the road. Um, but this was sort of like my experiment unintentionally into what kind that kind of life would be like. And like, it was amazing. And I'm like, I felt like I could do that for the rest of my life. It felt amazing. And so when, you know, COVID came along and we had all that time in lockdown, I could kind of go back fondly on those memories, sometimes through YouTube videos or Instagram pictures or, you know, just the memories and think like, you know, okay, I might be locked down now, but I got all that really cool stuff done. I had barbecue in St. Louis. I, I, you know, I stood under the Gateway Arch. Uh, you know, uh, I saw Custer's Last Stand. I went to, you know, um, Sioux Falls and various other things. Met our, one of our Patreon supporters, Gutang Clan. Gutang! Um, who has been our longest running Patreon supporter, by the way. So thank you very much, Gutang. And so... Uh, it was such an amazing experience for so many different reasons, going to Gen Con, hanging out with the Mari Marathon guys, all sorts of stuff. Um, and so that was like, I didn't feel 
like I was missing out so much because I know I had done so much already. And I try to practice gratitude as a good mental health thing. And so I am incredibly grateful uh, to John and to the Mari Marathon crew and to people who back home supported me. You know, my work gave me the time off. Uh, everyone who made that trip possible. And I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to have that amazing experience. And so now that we're kind of getting into this post-pandemic phase, although I hear some cases are going up and California is apparently thinking about reinstating a mask mandate. I need to check the news before we get into port in Long Beach to understand exactly when and where I need to wear a mask, which, you know, I'm happy to follow the rules and, and where one is needed and I might even wear it a little bit more than necessary but I like to know you know exactly what I'm going into because my preference for how much I wear one might be less than the rules and I want to know that beforehand um but yeah getting into this post-pandemic thing yeah okay like everyone else I felt like I had lost time to mix make up for uh I didn't feel like I was being you know, unfairly treated or denied things during the pandemic, I felt like I had a duty to be responsible, as I think everyone uh, hopefully was. And I was happy to do it. And, you know, I find ways of being happy and enjoying wherever I am, whether it's rewatching the Golden Girls on Amazon Prime, which definitely holds up, or trying to rewatch Elf and realizing that that does not hold up. Elf does not age well. Uh, but, you know, whatever it was, going through and watching old movies I'd never seen before. The original Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra was fantastic, for example, and I had never seen it. And so I tried to see the positive and the opportunities even in the darkest of moments. But as travel was starting to open up again, yeah, I mean, that, that travel part of me was just, you know, scratching away at the door. Couldn't wait to get out. When they first opened the borders for us to go out for 72-hour trips to Seattle, uh, you know, I booked uh, hotels every single weekend until they shut the border back down again. So we really sort of sucked on the marrow on uh, those three weekends. Uh, you know, every moment we could, we were we were traveling. And, you know, during the pandemic, road trips to Alberta and Vernon and other things where, you know, it sounds kind of weird to take a trip to Vernon. Like, what's there? There was a hotel that had a river running through it. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's check it out. And it's still, road trips are so much fun. And, you know, traditional vacations are fun and cruises are fun. So we don't want to totally narrow ourselves down to just cruising. I know that if I focus my YouTube channel and this podcast and everything else exclusively on cruising, we would have a much larger audience and be much more successful. But I like the variety and not everyone's able to cruise or wants to. And we want to show all sorts of vacations that you might think are impossible are actually very doable. That's kind of our credo. So as soon as things opened up again, I couldn't wait. And so I booked you know, through various, uh, you know, partnerships with Mike, with Sam, my family, um, going on these three cruises over the last six weeks or so. And um, it was interesting to see what gave me energy and what drained my energy. Because if this were to one day become a full-time gig, which I kind of think is incredibly unlikely, it would be like akin to winning the lottery. But if it ever happened, that would be amazing. Um, and I'd like to think that I could get a lot more podcasts and videos out that would help people if, you know, we went that way. So again, support us on Patreon. Maybe it'll happen one day. But I, th and I, we definitely remember our early supporters, you know, uh, Stupid Robot Fighting League and Gutang Clan, you were the first two. Um, but it was interesting because some things give me energy and some things drain my energy. And that's something I've learned about myself. And it could be a little bit about getting older, being now in my 40s. Um, I think that that road trip with John uh, gave me energy almost constantly. Uh, whatever it was, uh, you know, 
making jokes with my friend that I've known since high school, listening to music that I really enjoyed, seeing new things, being on the road, spending, I think, so much time just relaxed. You know, the GPS was handling the route, and everything else was easy. John did all the driving. I had planned some stuff in advance. Some things I was really keen on, like the dinosaur man being walked by the... Or what was it? The skeleton man walking the skeleton dinosaur. I really wanted to see that, for whatever reason. I really wanted to see the largest frying pan in Iowa. And, of course, that makes me infinitely curious as to what the largest frying pan in all of America must be. Because if that was only Iowa, how much bigger did it get? I want to look into that one day. Uh, Silly stuff like that. But a lot of the days were just like, okay, here's Hotel A, here's Hotel B. Connect the two. And so it was so relaxed and there was not a lot of pressure moment to moment. You know, it might be about like, okay, do we grab lunch in this town? Do we wait for the next town? Like, that's not a high stress decision. It's not the end of the world. You know, oh, do we go to this Arby's or do we hope that there's maybe a subway in the next town? Like, that wasn't, that wasn't stressful. Uh, and it wasn't physically demanding, <laughs> which is nice too. You know, we do a little bit of walking and stuff when we got to various places, a fair bit of walking at like, um, you know, up to, uh, you know, a little big horns, uh, customer's last stand. Uh, there was a fair bit of walking at uh, Mount Rushmore, but not too bad in some of the other places we went to. So it was, it wasn't physically hugely demanding either. I mean, you might think eight hours in a car in a day or 10 or 14 or six, uh, depending on how far, apart the hotels were on that leg uh it's that wasn't draining to me at all and so i found that i got energy arriving at the hotel and checking in i wasn't like oh my god i'm so tired just give me my room like i almost never felt like that i'm like all right let's check out this new hotel this is awesome and i probably should have done a whole lot more like hotel room tours because a lot of people kind of appreciate those uh so maybe in the future that's something that we'll do more of um like the motel six in missoula that video is very popular it's one of the nicest motel six i've ever stayed at it prompted me to try some motel sixes like i think in revelstoke and that one was trash so it can lead you astray and we want to you know bring you the good the bad and the ugly uh so that got me energy and the transatlantic gave me energy um you know the all those sea days where you can just do whatever you want and if okay yeah there were things i wanted to do i wanted to film all the stuff on the celebration to show people because they were requesting it in our vifp club members facebook group for example um or in comments on other videos and things like that but like if I didn't do it today, I could do it tomorrow. If I was really motivated, had energy one day, I could just do it. Uh, and so the activities could ebb and flow with my energy level, my interests, what I was excited about at that particular time. And so that was a nice form of fulfillment. You want to consider like Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs. That was sort of self-fulfillment was like, okay, today I'm going to just really film the candy sh- candy shop because people really wanted to see it or so people really wanted to know about how to iron their clothes and so like okay i'm just gonna go do a real i'm gonna do a job on that i'm gonna go make that video show them everything and answer their questions and so that was fantastic and then other days i'm like you know what i'm listening to podcasts on the balcony and that's where i'll be and so that gave me energy running around london um Yeah, I mean, that was tiring because it was a lot of walking and stuff like that. But that also was pretty invigorating. It was a lot of fun. Um, And so I think I was probably getting towards the end of my excitement energy level towards the end of the time we were there. So the timing was great. And, uh, of course, we went to go see... um, We were invited to the set of The Cleaner starring Greg Davies, which was absolutely amazing. My... 
my uh my wannabe actor wannabe director writer whatever um my inner child <laughs> was very happy to just be around a set a professional set and just see everyone and how like um how they got along and their sense of humor behind the scenes and everything because we really hung out with the crew most of the time uh and so that was really invigorating one of the things i love about travel is imagining having a different life as I've said, I think in a previous podcast, we only get one life, and I think that's a raw deal. And so I kind of want to cheat that by seeing other people's lives and experiencing things from all these different perspectives so that my imagination can be enriched and deepened if I wanted to just kind of fantasize about what if I had been, you know, uh, an assistant director or an actor or a grip or a sound tech or something. And so that was really exciting for me. Uh, and it was interesting because... We were playing tourist at somebody else's day job. It was something that I was kind of aware of in the moment. And so I was trying not to be obnoxious, but curious. And, um, you know, like if I could get them to laugh, tell a funny story, answer a question in a funny way, or give them some information. For example, somebody was pirating their videos on YouTube. And so I, uh, there was a person, I don't know what their role was, um, but they took a lot of interest in that. I was showing them like, okay, here's how you find them. Here's the channel. Here's how you file a report, you know, take down notice, whatever. Uh, and so just being a part of that was really kind of invigorating for me so that gave me energy uh but then the panorama sailings i felt well i've enjoyed them don't get me wrong i i feel like it was a net loss of energy so one of the things about one of the thing the thing about these seven day sailings after transatlantic and also that 10 day we took to uh hawaii and the eight day to alaska that we did is a seven day feels short it feels almost like a four day which i mean that's all perspective uh, and, and kind of tolerance, I guess, but it's, it feels really short. It feels rushed. And so it feels like you gotta hurry and you gotta do it. And if you're not going to do it now, you're not going to get your chance and you gotta, gotta go, 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 go. And you gotta make choices. And if you don't do one thing, then that means you're not going to get to it. And so it's all trade-offs. And I get enough of that in my life, in my day-to-day -day life. Life is a series of trade-offs and I get that, but I like having more time. And so the thing about this particular sa sailing, also having done it back to back, is that it's port, port, port. I mean, yeah, okay, sea day, sea day, port, 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 sea day. Port, 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 back to back to back. It doesn't feel like it gives you time to recover. Because the thing is also, like, we go pretty hard sometimes. So, like, uh, we went to, um, uh, uh, a resort that had an infinity pool on one of our first excursions on the previous sailing. And I just swam in the infinity pool the whole day. Out in the sun. And so I got some sort of exercise swimming. And it's a little draining being in the sun. Some people find the sun really energizing. Uh, after a point, I find it shifts from energizing to draining. Because, you know, you're sweating and it's hot and all that kind of stuff. And so there was that. And then, you know, it was the very next day. It was another excursion that had us going uh, in a, a, a shuttle bus to a trimaran, to a little boat, to a to an island and then kind of doing stuff on the island and then doing it all again in reverse and also having like sort of alcohol along the way and stuff like that. And then the very next day after that, it was a long walk in the hot sun after uh, a tender to go to a restaurant and then back again. And so like it was just sort of a cumulative, like 
there wasn't there wasn't time to physically recover whether we're talking about hangovers or you know having a little too much sun or just the physical you know uh, every day was leg day <laughs> for one thing uh functionally it was like leg day leg day leg day because <laughs> of all the walking or swimming or whatever that it was that was going on and so like as i understand it i i, I don't exercise properly and i should exercise more i i like to do the one minute plank every day and i try to do the seven minute workout i need to do that every day more uh for health that's the, those are things i recommend that you can also do on the road but um you know from what i hear you don't do three leg days in a row <laughs> that's generally a bad idea uh you know you build muscle by basically destroying the existing muscle and what regrows in this place is stronger uh and it didn't feel like i was getting a chance to do that and even like in london we had done so much walking that if i were to flex my calf muscle it wouldn't move like normally. And even now, after all the walking the last few days, I, it still moves a little bit when I flex it. Uh, but at that point, we had done so much walking for like a week straight um, that it was like my calf muscle was constantly flexed. I could not tighten it, flex it, move it any more than the position it was already in. And I don't ever in my life remember feeling that way about my calf muscle. Uh, and so I find that to be a little draining. So if I had to stay on this boat, you know, people talk about, oh, living on a cruise ship for retirement or whatever would be amazing. And yeah, I thought about that, but I think I need to be a bit more picky about that dream that I might have for myself. Because uh, if I just kept doing seven days back to back to back, I, I don't know, I think it would feel pretty draining. I mean, I'd have to start skipping ports uh, because the constant, you know... Uh, every week three port days in a row would get to be a bit much i think uh and after you know if i was to be on it forever i wouldn't feel like i need to probably but um also the back-to-back -back process uh was a little draining and so this was my first back-to-back -back cruise so i'd like to talk about it in the first person in the first person from my experience now that i've experienced it so when you do a back-to-back -back, you do receive a letter and there's nothing you need to do to prompt it they pick up on it on their own if not you probably go get, see guest services but in my case even though it was two separate bookings made by two separate people in two separate cabins with two separate cabin mates carnival picked up on it they realized right away and so you get a letter towards the end of your first sailing giving you some options and it says like you know oh if you are staying in the same cabin here's your options and if you're going to a different cabin here are your options and so um i was going to a different cabin and uh there's an option to get off the boat and i think that if you decide to do that get off the ship and go to go into in this case long beach uh it's for a minimum of three hours you have to leave the ship by a certain time and you can't reboard until like 11 30 uh, or something like that. I forget the exact times. And so I thought about it because I wanted to upload a YouTube video, get the Wi-Fi, but three hours was a long time. So I decided, no, what I'm going to do is I'll do the stay on the ship option because it says you have to get off the ship t like briefly to go through a customs check to then come back on. And I figured I can probably very quickly upload something while I'm in line for customs. And so that was sort of my plan. Uh, and also I do want to mention a lot of times you're not supposed to use your phone when going through customs. So it's at a particular point follow the signage and the rules. I'm not encouraging you to not follow those rules. And I did manage to get the video uploaded and at no point using my phone anywhere that I wasn't allowed to. So that worked out. But let me talk about the experience. So um, you have to have your luggage, if you want it, moved between the cabins, ready by 8.30 in the morning of the day of debarkation. And also embarkation for you, I guess. The day of changeover, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so you leave it in the room. You don't tag in or anything. You just leave it in the room. And the, and the, the steward knows what to do. And that worked perfectly. I left my luggage. And it was waiting for me in the new cabin. So you still have to vacate your cabin by the standard time. 
So I did that, hung out with uh, family on Lido, and then I believe it was at 10.30, I needed to report to the lounge with all the other people doing back-to-back. So I head to the lounge, and I'm trying to figure out, because one door is closed, and the other door says suite guests only, and I'm not a suite guest. I've never stayed in a suite. I would love to show you a suite. Support us on Patreon. Maybe one day we will. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Vacation Impossible. Gotta get the plug in. Um, but I just, I can't afford a suite. And so, anyways, this was a back-to-back. So uh, there was there was a staff member there, and I said, oh, is this where back-to-backs go? Because your sign says suite only. And this was kind of weird. Uh, in all my experience with Carnival, talking to staff... I've never really felt like there was a language barrier, but this was my first time going from cruise 25 to 26. I actually encountered someone who I I legitimately thought did not speak English. Um, I thought that they were maybe, you know, just welcoming attendant staff, maybe bar staff. Uh, But then I noticed later that they were sweeping up. So it was like maybe custodial. Uh, And so maybe they don't because they maybe don't have many guest interactions. I don't know. It was weird. But they were, they almost seemed afraid of my question. Uh, or the interaction. They seemed incredibly nervous and awkward. But then uh, I, somebody else swooped in and said, like, oh, yeah, you know, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. So then you sit down. But nothing really happens until the the ship has had all of the guests leave, other than the back-to-backers. And so there's, like, some light snacks and drinks available. Um, but basically, you're just sitting there and waiting. And it was quite a long wait. And so somebody who was there was announcing how many guests we had to wait to get off the ship uh, before we could begin our process uh, intermittently. So they're like, oh, 1,500 to go. And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> looking at my watch. Um, and then, oh, 900 to go. I'm like, okay, we're making good progress. Oh, f- like seven to go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and that's when the cruise director starts making announcements about, like, this is your final notice that you need to vacate the ship now or something to that effect. And he made the final notice announcement three separate times. So, you know, not totally final those first two times. Uh, and then he starts, like, naming and shaming people. And so he's, like, announcing five names. Uh, and then he made another announcement where there was only two of those names remaining. And I just remember the last name was Torres. Um, and he did that for a while. And so it seemed like they were having to hunt down people who weren't getting off the damn ship. <laughs> and so that's the question we get sometimes is like, what, like, do people try to stow away? And I mean, I guess maybe people do, but the simple fact is, is they know you are on board and you scan out. That's why you have to have your sail and sign card when you leave the ship. So they scan you out. They know if you haven't left yet. Uh, and so that took a while and really delayed the process. And so these two people, these Torreses, were delaying it for us and for all the people waiting to get on the ship, including Sam, who was coming on board to join me. Uh, and so eventually they got the Torreses off the ship somehow, some way, hopefully voluntarily. <laughs> I only can speculate. And so then I get off at Long Beach, and so I'm ready to have a conversation with a, with, with an immigration officer or something, a customs agent, right? I've got my passport, I've got my old uh, sale and sign card. While you're waiting in the lounge, they come and they take a picture for your new card, and they do give you your new card. So I'm like, I got my old card, I got my new card. And it was funny because I was going from my 25th to my 26th sailing, and so the 25th is a milestone the 26th is not but both times i got milestone cards which is kind of cool and i think it's because the 25th hadn't fully completed that the system didn't register it as in the system so it thought i was going on the 25th when they printed my card the second time so that's fine i got two uh 25 milestone cards that's probably somewhat unique i think that's cool um 
So um, I'm all ready to have a conversation. I'm, you know, on the sly uploading and optimizing my YouTube video. Uh, and I'm letting people go ahead of me so that I can, you know, make good use of the Wi-Fi. But I'm also kind of hopefully being a nice guy. I see, like, families and stuff. And, like, their kids are squirming. I'm like, I'll let them go ahead. So I don't have to wait so long. Make it easier on them. Make it easier on my ears. Everybody wins being a nice guy. And so I, I get up there and I'm, like, looking for the customs agents. And there's no one around except a couple Carnival employees. And there's, like, a tablet on a stand with two... Uh, of footmarks on the ground in red and so basically what you do is you go up you stand there you look at it the tablet takes your picture and you go right back on the ship again so okay i mean i know that they've got this facial recognition thing that you can agree to the terms and conditions of when you check in online for your cruise and so i guess that that was sufficient uh but they don't make that clear to the guest and maybe they don't because it might not always be that way maybe sometimes you have to talk to customs depending on maybe the setup the day how many customs people are available concerns or perhaps your own sort of information whether or not you've consented to the facial recognition for example so they took my picture and went right back on the ship. You go back on the ship and there is sort of a welcome back party you can go to right away. Even though you've been off the ship for not very long at all. Just long enough to get your picture taken. And possibly wait in a line or two. And you scan back onto the ship, of course, with your new card. Uh, and so there they take your picture with a sign about back to back. And so I made a silly little face and I got my picture for that. And it, it's just a cheap like inkjet printout on glossy paper like the image quality is not fantastic but it's free so that came to the cabin several days later uh in an envelope from the pixels uh, photo gallery and um and then you can get a drink uh and so i elected to to grab a can of pepsi because again not a heavy drinker but they had champagne and stuff like that to welcome you back aboard and then you're kind of free to go about the ship and so i came directly to the cabin and there was a very nice fruit bowl and a bottle of champagne, or a sparkling wine, I should say. A bottle of sparkling wine and a nice fruit bowl waiting for me uh, as a back-to-back person. And so that was pretty cool. And on my previous cruise my was my milestone cruise. So I think I should probably talk about milestones a little bit. So the milestone cruise... Uh, you know, 25 cruises is a big number. It's You've spent quite a bit of money. Uh, and so it was interesting because it's not really clear on their website what kind of perks you get with a milestone. Uh, at the VIFP club, uh, members party, they, they, they like, oh, everyone on, on a milestone stand up and clap. So you get that. You get the, the white card, uh, which is kind of cool. That looks nice. Um, I was waved off of having to do the, uh, life vest training. So I reported to the muster station, like you're supposed to do. They scan the card and they see that it's a milestone. And the guy's very funny. He looks at me and he says, look, uh, this is your 25th cruise. If you don't know how to put on a life jacket by now, this is not going to fix what's wrong with you. Get out of here. And I'm like, thank you so much. I have a good one. Um, and then partway through the cruise, I did receive something in my cabin, which was a very nice, uh, waterproof Bluetooth speaker. And so I'm thinking that was a milestone gift. There was no note attached. It actually said that it was like it had casino branding on it. But I can't go to the casino because of my smoke allergy. And and that makes people angry. That's a whole thing. Uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, uh, apologize enough for having a medical condition that I would not have given myself if I had the choice. But putting that aside. Uh, so I'm, I'm not able to go to the casino. That's why uh, people like Mike and Sam, they go on uh, my behalf. They go and uh, kind of report back and, you know, I get a casino discount with Mike every now and then. And, and they tell me about those experiences since I physically can't go. I can't endure it. Um, and so it was like, I got a casino gift. 
uh, that's a little weird. And so I, I eventually figured out that that was a milestone gift. That's my theory. And so my understanding is that I'm also supposed to be able to get a percentage of a future cruise back um, equal to the milestone. So I believe that I have up to 18 months. This is Sam's research I'm relying on here. So thank you, Sam, for looking into that for us. Uh, I believe I have up to 18 months to select a future cruise that I'm going to go on and say, okay, I would like to redeem my milestone discount where I would get 25% of the cruise rate for myself back as onboard credit. And so I'm going to try and be very strategic with that, make it uh, one where maybe I'm paying a little bit more, maybe a bit longer cruise, something like that, where the cruise rate's a little bit more substantial to maximize my value out of that. Um, so basically with the milestone, you get the special card, the gift, maybe skip a muster drill and uh, possibly that discount. I'll report back on what that discount experience, that OBC back uh, experience is like once I try to make use of it, assuming that the research is accurate. So that is uh, sort of the milestone experience. So this has been this has been a lot the last six weeks. My first transatlantic sailing, my first true inaugural. I was on the Panorama in 2019 for her first seven day sail, but the inaugural was actually a three day sail prior that I didn't do because the price was astronomical for a three day. So this was uh, you know on the celebration first true inaugural, first transatlantic, first cruise over ten days. Uh, then it was followed by my first milestone, followed by my first back-to-back. -back. And so it has been six weeks of some amazing firsts. But, uh, yeah, I find myself drained. Now, part of why I find myself drained at this moment, I think, is because there is, I think, a layout flaw. Well, I don't want to call it a design flaw because that's a little heavy. I think there's a flaw in the layout of the Carnival Panorama right now. Their smoking section, particularly for cigars, is at the front deck five starboard which means everyone with a balcony that's a deck five and above on starboard is subjected to all of that smoke i don't know why it's at the front of the ship so that it wafts the whole length of the ship but it's activating my allergies constantly i'm sneezing i'm i'm feeling uh, uh scratchy something in my throat even right now i feel congested uh i feel like my voice is probably a higher pitch than it would normally be just because my nose is partially plugged uh, even when the door to the balcony is closed, I can it, it can still kind of affect me a little bit. And again, for some reason, me having this allergy really makes people angry. So if my allergy makes you angry, I apologize. Um, I have gotten shots for it to lessen it. But beyond that, there's no more I can do. <laughs> so I, I uh, people will comment on YouTube, Facebook... Uh, whatever send me messages saying that I'm lying about it, that I'm faking it, that it's impossible. Um, but it's it's real. It sucks. I don't want it. And I don't understand why it makes other people angry. But, um, yeah. So if you're one of those people that, that my medical condition makes angry, all I can do is apologize because I've done everything else I can to manage it up to this point. But I do think that's a flaw. I think that the smoking section should be at the back of the ship where, you know, then it goes out to the ocean. Instead of right into all the cabins. You know, what's the point of banning smoking on the balconies if the balconies are right next to the smoking section? Makes no sense to me. And for somebody with a, a you know, a condition like mine, uh, it sucks. Because I love my balcony. On my previous sailing, uh, we had a cove balcony, which is low enough that that wasn't a factor, even though it was still starboard. Uh, it was not a factor at all. So I spent a lot of time on that balcony. On the transatlantic, I practically lived on my balcony. 
so, you know, that's something to consider. And um, speaking of balconies and transatlantic cruises, if you are going west and you are trying to decide what side of the ship to book for a transatlantic, here is something to consider. For one, find out where the smoking area is to see if your balcony could potentially be near it and whether or not you care about that. If it's something you care about, obviously try to get the other side of the ship. Um, but also, on a transatlantic with a balcony, so long, such a long cruise, you're going to want to get it right. Invest the time to know before you go. So if you're going west, I have learned that the port side is going to get most of the sun. And starboard side is going to be in the shade most of the time. And so I was so, so lucky. Because on the celebration, I was on the starboard side because I don't like being in direct sun. I don't want to burn. Sun ages you. It's you know bad for your skin, all this stuff. Yeah, you can wear protective stuff. Uh, but then it's like, okay, now it's a whole process just to go out to the balcony. You got to put the sunblock on, the hat, the sunscreen, the, uh, the, the sunglasses, all that stuff. Um, and so... It was perfect for me. It was, you know, it, there was there was no smoke. Uh, it was on the side of the shade. And so I got the warmth. I got the amazing views. I got even lovely sunsets without direct sunlight practically at all. And so it was perfect for me. Meanwhile, Sam was on port side and he loves the direct sunlight. He loves sunbathing. It's kind of his thing. If Sam's not in the cabin and he ain't somewhere eating or exercising... He'll either be on his balcony, Serenity, somewhere where he can be in the sun directly. And so it was perfect for him because he had direct sunlight almost the entire cruise. And so that was something that I never considered before. Before the transatlantic, I never thought, oh, uh, yeah, you can probably figure out which side will have direct sunlight and which won't. So choose what works for you. So if you're going west, starboard is in shade, port is in the sun. And if you're going east, the opposite. And also... The other thing that I learned this cruise is I need to figure out in advance where the smoking area is before booking a balcony to see if I can enjoy my balcony at all. Or if it is going to be sort of a liability rather than some benefit that I have paid extra for. So uh, those are some things that I have learned on this cruise. Uh, I also finally remembered to bring along my metal reusable straw on this cruise. So when I met the Sea Day Brunch, and I get my free VIFP drink. I like a kiss on the lips. That's my favorite uh, drink. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, an alcoholic Slurpee. <laughs> it's a little bit like a Bellini, but a little bit more fruity, which I enjoy. A little sweeter. Uh, and, you know, these, these candy straws are just the worst. They don't work. I would almost... No, you know what? I would. I would take a paper straw over this. Uh, I, paper straw is not the answer. To jump to the end, TLDR, a metal straw or a bamboo straw or, you know, I hate to say it, a plastic straw. Uh, the, the thing is, is that the thing about the whole straw situation is plastic straws work very well. And frankly, they're practically essential to certain people with certain disabilities. And so they worked well. They didn't dissolve. Uh, they didn't get, you know, sticky and icky on the outside. They didn't, you know, transfer the, the, the stickiness of whatever you're, you're using it on. And so I understand that the plastic is not great for the environment. Its production isn't fantastic, single use. Uh, apparently it's unrecyclable, which is only something I've learned the last couple of years. I thought they were recyclable. I was wrong, apparently. And so I understand that there was a YouTube video that went around of like a turtle with a straw stuck in its nose or something. And yeah, that can be upsetting. I haven't personally seen it. It just never came across any of my recommendations or feeds or anything. Um, and I can understand how that can be a powerful image. 
But straws are such a small component of the problem, and the solutions haven't been solutions at all, such that they're frustrating people. And the problem is is that I think it's bad for the environmental movement, because then you point to the whole straw situation, where you wasted a lot of goodwill and, frankly, political capital on fighting a tiny part of the problem, and you pissed off so many people that the next time you come along, perhaps with a real solution to a bigger problem, it's going to be a lot harder to get buy-in, because the straw thing is a disaster. And so... I think that, yeah, okay, when I go to a restaurant, White Spot, for example, hopefully John from Stupid Robot Fighting League enjoys that reference, uh, back home, go to White Spot, and I'll order, a, you know, a Coke. And I don't need a straw in that. I can sip from a glass without a straw, no problem. That is an easy change for me to make, a change I'm happy to make. Uh, so that's fine. You know, Starbucks has sippy cups and, you know, sippy cups is a bad name because it reminds you of, you know, infancy and childhood and being a toddler. So it'd be nice if it had, you know, a better name. Spout cup? That's not very good either. I don't know, something. That could use some better branding. But I'm fine with that from Starbucks, you know, without a straw. There are places that will provide you with a bamboo straw. Bamboo's biodegradable and it grows so fast they measure it in like miles per hour. So it's super sustainable and replenishable and biodegradable. Uh, so bamboo might be a great option. Might be a little heavier, so transport might be a little little tricky. I mean, everything's going to come with some kind of a cost. But these are things that actually solve the problems. And this metal straw, I don't know how many times I would have to use this to equal the footprint of plastic straws, but I, I feel like it's going to be a lot because this is metal that was obviously, you know, either recycled or mined from the earth at some point prior to that. Um, and so this doesn't feel necessarily much better. It's certainly less convenient. And so I made it work. Uh, it's not great. It jammed a lot. Uh, and it's uh, telescopic. So one end will be narrower than the other. Uh, and so I'm not really sure which is the right way to do that. Because if you put the, the wider end down, then stuff jams a lot easier because it goes up and gets stuck. But if you do it the other way, if something gets stuck, I, I noticed the straw started to collapse telescopically. Uh, and so it was a little frustrating, but the metal straw still leagues better than this candy crap, uh, this edible straw, because, well, let's, let's talk about it. And I know we've talked about it before, but I just want to revisit it because Carnival clearly isn't fixing the problem. Uh, paper straws dissolve. And so if you get a paper straw in something, that's like a ticking clock because that straw is going to stop being a straw pretty soon. So you better slam that thing back, which might not be the healthiest thing to do. And obviously, if it's a larger drink, uh, maybe it was something you're planning on sipping throughout the day, you're kind of screwed. Now, with the edible straw, it's worse. It doesn't last as long as paper, I think. And what happens is this really bizarre thing where when the straw is in, say, a Slurpee-like beverage, a kiss on the lips, whatever, a margarita, it kind of sucks the cold, the moisture up into the straw. And so the moisture through condensation starts to form on the outside of the straw, the part of the straw that you would be touching. And that, combined with the fact that this is sugar, then makes it sticky. And so honestly, at that point, serve it to me in a fishbowl and I'll drink it with my hands. I like, I, I'm exaggerating like slightly for comedic effect here. But if I were to just put my hand in there and grab some of that slurpy slush and put it in my mouth, that would only be kind of... Uh, it's, it's several degrees worse than this, but it's the exact same effect. We're just talking about different, like, scales of effect at that point. Different points on a continuum. So the straw is kind of sticky, but putting your hand in there, it's just more sticky. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a binary thing. It's not different. It's just degrees of badness. And, and that sucks. 
And uh, when we were on the celebration, there was this uh, woman in a wheelchair uh, who had some uh, limited use of her hands. And I saw her constantly struggling with her edible straw. It was falling apart, breaking, not working properly. She had to go back to the bar twice to replace the straw for one drink. And, I mean, isn't she having to do enough already that adding this extra difficulty? I was, like, legit, and I still am legitimately angry about that. Um, you know, that is just going too far for, again, a tiny part of the problem. Especially when there are better solutions. And carnivals used them before! I think it was on my Vista sailing, I got a plastic reusable straw with my kiss on the lips. And I was like, great! It's been fixed! They figured it out! This is reusable! They can wash this and use it a billion times, probably! You know, it was like a thicker straw, the kind you used to get with, like, a reusable cup from, like, a a 7-Eleven or something, like, back in the 90s or something. And it would be like, oh, you know, you'd refill it and save 10 cents, or, you know, refill your Big Gulp for a dollar instead of a dollar fifty or whatever it was. Uh, So, I mean, we have the technology (laughs) to do better and... For some reason, they just decided, hey, let's reinvent the wheel badly with either paper or this candy crap. Uh, and I don't know what this stuff is costing them, but uh, whatever they're paying, it's too much because it's just irritating. Some people like the taste or whatever. And yeah, I guess if you don't want to go spend money in the candy store and you want some sugar, yeah, okay, you got a straw. Uh, it's not a straw, it's candy. Uh, so... That's just something that's... Uh, and, and the thing is, is this metal straw, it's not perfect. Like I said, one way it jammed, I flipped it, and then it started collapsing. And then, like, if you finish the drink in the restaurant, you got to take your straw with you. You got to try and clean it enough to take it away, you know, with some civility. And that's, that's, that's tricky. So, like, you kind of, like, suck everything out of it or blow everything out of it, lick it, put it in your napkin to dry it off. And, and then you put it in the container... And the thing is, to put it in the container, you got to put the brush inside of it. And so when you get it back to your cabin, you got to clean the straw with using the brush and water, of course. Then you got to clean the brush, because the brush is going back in there when you're done. And uh, because you put something that wasn't properly clean inside the carrying case in the first place, you also got to clean the case. And so how much water are you wasting doing that versus the environmental impact of what a disposable straw would have been? I don't know. Uh, still convinced that bamboo is a much better answer. I know Mike knows someone who actually uh, sells bamboo straws. Uh, a couple Christmases back, Julian got bamboo straws as part of a Yankee gift swap that I'm starting to wish I had fought for in the swap uh, that Christmas because, yeah, uh, paper straws are ticking time bombs. Uh, these sugar straws are just a sticky mess and metal straws are just a whole bunch of work out of out of those three i mean metal straws are better than paper and sugar but i'm thinking some sort of bamboo disposable option really should be a good way to go uh so that's the straw rant i mean honestly i care about the environment if you want to do something about the environment and you're a government how about ending subsidies to oil companies or having better you know uh subsidies for electric cars uh, where, you know, transportation creates something like 30% of greenhouse gases. I can't imagine drinking straws get anywhere close to that. I'd be surprised if they register at a tenth of a percent of, you know, um, cause of emissions or, you know, things like that, pollution, what have you. I get it. And I mean, I get having sympathy for animals is great and it's important and it's moral. And I'm, you know, I get that. I have nothing but respect for people who make life changes and choices um, to protect animals. I think that's all fantastic. Um, 
but I think that if you're having to throw somebody in a wheelchair under the bus to get the job done, you've done it wrong. Uh, and that makes me angry. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, hopefully you won't be encountering too many more rants about straws from me. <laughs> um, so, one last uh, topic uh, for this uh, podcast, because again, I am exhausted, and that's probably coming across, uh, but I don't want to end on a straw rant. Uh, so, there's one topic that's been on our to-discuss list for a long time that I'd like to finally get off the list, uh, especially having recently been to London. And so, the question is, what are the must-see things to do in London? And wow, that's a hard question. Uh, I forget exactly who submitted this, but yeah, I think that... My answer is going to be, I don't know, it, it might not sound like an adventurer answer, with apologies to Tom Parks. Uh, I might be sound a little touristy, but honestly, I think the place to start in London is the London Eye. It goes through many names, Millennium Wheel, you know, uh, it's had various sponsors over the years, the Merlin Eye and other things, but you all know what I'm talking about. It's the giant Ferris wheel on the Thames River that was built for the turn of the millennium. And so I think that is a great place to begin for a couple of reasons. The wheel itself gives you amazing views of London and helps you orient yourself. And it's a nice toe-in-the-water stepping-off point. You can book it in advance online. It is not complicated. Booking it in advance saves you some money. You can select a day and a time. It makes it a little easier and a little structured. And, you know, you can kind of figure out what tube station gets you there. Uh, but I think it's a great beginning to London because you can see so much of it. And... This is key. I think combining it with the River Cruise is great. I've done the London Eye three times, the River Cruise twice. And the London Eye gives you a good sense visually of the city. But the River Cruise is really what gives you some history, some information. And it's not a very expensive add-on. And so I recommend doing the combo of the Eye and the River Cruise through the people who run the Eye, whoever the sponsor is when you're listening to this podcast, it changes hands. Uh, I think it's uh, lastminute.com. Uh, London Eye currently is what it was called when we were on it last. But the River Cruise is amazing. It's not a, it's not super short. It's not a whole day thing, uh, but it's a substantial amount of time. You go pretty far up and down the Thames, and so it shows you so many of those other things that are potentially worth doing, and so you know where they are, and you can know something about what they are. You know, don't confuse Tower Bridge with London Bridge. Tower Bridge is the cool one where you can go up, and the bridge sometimes goes up, and that's amazing, and London Bridge is just kind of old and been rebuilt a few times and has i think a lot of foot traffic uh you know the the millennium bridges the bridges that sway that you can walk across you can see a lot of the things and a lot of the stuff that you can do in london doesn't necessarily cost extra money beyond a, a you know a quick tube ride so for example a lot of the museums or cathedrals you can go see at relatively no cost there and so I think that in terms of what you must do, I believe, is the London Eye and the River Cruise, and that will inform the rest of the things that you should do to a, to a substantial degree. That's the thing I've done pretty much every time I go to London, and if I was to go to London tomorrow, I would probably do it again, because there's always something new I pick up on on that cruise, and the views are always so amazing on the eye, where, you know, daytime you can see more, but I wouldn't mind doing it at night one day, I think that would be great, I haven't done it really at night, I don't think, and so it's silly, it's probably the two most, some of the most obvious things but that is really the to me what you want to do on day one essential and then after that of course there's so many places that i could just go on at length the tower of london is amazing 
I, I can't recommend that enough. The Tower Bridge, like I mentioned before, is awesome. At the very least, walk across it or, or, or you know, maybe be there when the, when it goes up, which doesn't happen very often anymore. I think it's like five times a week or something. It used to be like two or three times a day. St. Paul's is just awe-inspiring. Churchill's Underground Museum, the Imperial War Museum. This time we went to a couple of museums, including the Science Museum, which was cool. There's Tate Modern, there's art museums. And I mean, I think almost every museum in London is free. I think Imperial War might have had an admission. I'm not sure. You can check online. I didn't go to that this trip, but that'd be great. I'd love to go back to that. So I think, yeah, day one, do the eye and do the river cruise and include a couple of museums. Find the museum that aligns with your interest. It doesn't necessarily have to be an art museum if you're not into art, like this guy. I'm not into art. But, you know, science, history, war museum, Churchill's Underground Bunker, the London at War experience where you can go and see all these artifacts and things and you actually go into an old, like, family bomb shelter that would have been in someone's backyard and they simulate, like, a like a bombing campaign, an air raid and all that. Some of that stuff is just so amazing. The HMS Belfast is great if you're into that kind of thing. I loved that experience going on the Belfast. I wish we'd made time to do it again. I'd happily do that again. There's so much in London to see, but it really does kind of depend on your interests. And that's why I think the Wheel on the Cruise, universal. Universal good starting place, especially if you don't have a solid plan for other stuff. And through that, there's going to be something on that river cruise they're going to talk about that you're going to be like, well, that's interesting. You know, uh, the globe. Uh, maybe, you know, if you're into Shakespeare and theater, that might be something that interests you. And so it's difficult to make a recommendation across all peoples. Um, and that's why I think, yeah, the Wheel and the Cruise, everybody. And then the other stuff, it depends on your interest. Like, I love the Belfast. Uh, I, I really enjoyed those ships of sort of World War One and Two era. Uh, you know, they've got the Pompanito in San Francisco, for example. And I, it's... Again, it deepens and enriches my imagination where I can try and sympathize, empathize, picture myself in, like, had that been me, what would that have been like to be through those difficult times where, uh, you know, I think the Belfast had rescued a bunch of people, or maybe it was the Pompanito, I get them confused, uh, they probably both rescued uh, other people from sinking ships, and, like, it was just, like, crammed to the gills with people, but, like, what choice do you have? You're not going to leave people behind. Like, what must that have been like? What were the challenges? You know, how did they keep their spirits up? What kind of sense of humor? What kind of food did they eat? Where did they sleep when it was, like, not cramped? Uh, all that kind of stuff. And so in the Belfast, they they have sort of uh, things in, situa in situ, as they would say. And so they would have, like, sounds that would be simulating what it would have sounded like at the time, including possibly people talking. And, like, you can go eat in the galley and you can see, uh, you know, the, the, the bunks and everything. Um, and stuff like that's amazing. We went to a place where robots make drinks for you. <laughs> that I didn't, that was, that was, uh, I don't want to say disappointment. The drinks were bad. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll have a video on YouTube coming out that'll show you all this, but the robots making them were cool. But I thought like, uh, Mike and Sam like their, their drinks, but I thought the drinks were horrifically bad. <laughs> Maybe I just ordered wrong. I ordered the Sumerian sunset cause it was the only Star Trek themed one. Uh, and that was, oh my God, it was so horrible. <laughs> uh, I like, I like gave it to Sam and then apologized. <laughs> um, so, like, that was kind of cool just to see and try and see the robots make the drink. And so that was kind of cool. Um, Trafalgar Square, Piccadilly Circus. There's a lot of places you can go walking. Uh, you know, maybe you want to go check out a department store. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, Harrods that I went to last time. And this time we went to a different department store. And it was around Christmas time this time. So that was really quite lovely uh, seeing what that was like. So... 
Um, yeah, there's so much to do in London. It's really hard to give you a definitive. So I've got that. I got your. I got the first half of your first day planned out for you. But from there, it's really going to be driven by your interest. You want to go to a banquet in the basement of a castle. Uh, is that something that would appeal to you? So for the Ren Fair folk out there, or even just people interested in history like myself. Uh, so I strongly encourage people to go to London. Uh, I was sorry to say that it felt like London was less friendly than it was last time I went. Last time I went was 2010. And this time... Uh, I felt like the people were a little less friendly. Um, you know, when I got trapped between those two fire doors, you can check that video out on TikTok and more to come on YouTube for that. Uh, you know, people who were walking by were laughing at me rather than offering assistance. And so that was disappointing. Not good representatives of the city there. That wasn't in London proper. So that was sort of Park Royal in the Ealing area. Uh, so maybe it's a little different. I know that the accents are super regional, so hopefully the attitudes are too. Um, and so yeah, it just felt a little less friendly, which is a shame. Uh, I don't know if that's driven by political shifts or what. Uh, is that an effect of Brexit? I have no earthly idea. Maybe it's just pandemic stuff and people are still like learning how to be around other people. I don't know. Um, so that was a bit of a, that was a shame that like some of the charm was lost a little bit, I felt, but I still think like the history and there's a lot of beauty there and yeah, like charm of, you know, their giant parks and, uh, yeah, even the department stores and stuff. Really just just pretty lovely. So I uh, strongly recommend if you get a chance to spend some time in London, it is well worth the time. Uh, I remember in 2005 when my family was planning on doing this European tour and I was trying to sell them on going to London, Paris, and Rome, which they initially did not include in that trip because it was so expensive. And so I kind of paraphrased the line from the movie You've Got Mail, where it's not that it costs so much, it's that it's worth that much. And that kind of brought them around. And so that is uh, kind of my recommendation for London, is that it is worth it. Now, I'm not sure how fully accessible it is. Uh, not a lot of stations on the tube map have the wheelchair logo on it. So there's a lot of stairs and a lot of walking. And so that is something to consider if you are planning on going to London. If you have any accessibility needs, uh, maybe do some additional research and really factor that in. Uh, that would probably be the only situation where I might caution someone against London, maybe recommend something else with greater accessibility. Uh, but if that's not a concern for you, London is really quite fantastic. And try to uh, walk around as much as you can. Because the stuff you'll see, you know, just walking along and, oh, there's, you know, uh, uh, what was it? The... Um, the Sherlock Holmes pub that we had been to in 2010, we just ended up walking by a couple of times uh, and stuff like that. So some of the things that you walk by, I went to an Italian restaurant at one point just because we were walking around. I was got hungry and the food was absolutely amazing. Uh, the service was okay. The price, a little pricey, but it was super good food. So uh, yeah, I strongly encourage people to go to London, especially if it's before transatlantic cruise. That's a nice way to do it. Let me tell you. Uh, and yeah, I think I'm probably just going to be repeating myself or listing out more things there, but start with the eye and the cruise and go from there. And I'm sure you'll find plenty to keep you busy for at least a week, if not more. So with that in mind and the fact that I am just absolutely knackered <laughs> and I'm working on that bottle of sparkling wine from the uh, from the back to back plus my free VIFP drink, uh, good reasons to probably wrap up here. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Not sure about our future travel plans. There's a lot of things we're talking about for 2023, uh, but nothing has been booked yet other than we are going to ECCC, that's Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle in the spring. So we will be going to that, but beyond that, 
Nothing is set in stone. Uh, so I'm not certain when we'll be coming back to you, although hopefully at least in the spring. But thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to go check us out on YouTube and other social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, etc. And uh, as I said, please subscribe on your platform of choice for podcasts. And if you're able to give us a review, please do so. We greatly appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening.